Sup, nerds? This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I get paid to do science. Sarah Ward. I'm a scientist in progress. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. Today we're going to be talking about Battlestar Galactica, particularly the miniseries, and we're going to be talking about fictional and real-life sleeper agents. This is our first real-ass sci-fi. Yeah, we're doing a hard pivot from the Skyrim, like, you know, Scandinavian medieval fantasy to actually uh, space. I can't believe, honestly, we've made it this far without doing any sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of shocking, actually. It's kind of absurd. Sorry, y'all. With, like, two scientists in the podcast, know, right? they're like, let's, let's just keep with the fantasy for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you guys get enough science on a day-to-day basis. Battlestar Galactica is so good, though. Yeah. Battlestar Galactica is fucking incredible. Guys, I love this show. The miniseries in particular is really, really, really impeccable work. Yes. I just blanket statement. I'm going to spoil like the entire miniseries and a little bit of like the actual show and its relevance, but it's like first season stuff. So so we're not getting into any of that end game shit, which by the way, if you guys haven't seen it, the thing that I wish I knew before I watched the show is that the finale of the show it's is bad. trash it's not and good. you should have no expectations for it being good. And oh, if you wow. go in with low expectations, I think you'll be okay. It was it was helpful to me to have the low expectations because I was then so I wasn't mad. quite as angry. Like I was still yeah. pissed off, but I wasn't like furious about it. I'm so glad you said that. However, the whole show is pretty good. Yeah, but the the very very end is really 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 just, really I really mean, bad. A really sloppy disaster. writing. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really yeah. Yeah, it's a nightmare. But the rest of it's great. <laughs> I'll, I'll be like getting spoiled too. So anybody that's listening to this that's also experiencing spoiling, I'm right there with you. But it's okay because I'm still going to watch the miniseries and I'm still going to watch Battlestar Galactica. And it's going to be great. So let me let me just go ahead and jump into kind of summarizing what's up with the miniseries. Yes. A little bit of background, a little bit of what happens. So the main idea here is that the humans live on 12 different colonies in a solar system, different planets. They happen to be named after the astrological signs. So there's Caprica and... And Aralon and, you know, that kind of shit, Pycon, right? Sagittarion. Yes. So humans created the Cylons. These are robots to make their life easier. At some point, the Cylons rose up against their creators and there was a war. After a pretty long war, Armistice was declared and the Cylons left for a different solar system. And there was 40 years of no contact. Mm-hmm. At the very, very beginning of Battlestar Galactica, like the miniseries starts with Armistice Day, which is when a human goes to like a space station and a Cylon can meet them to observe this treaty. Cylons never show up. On this day, 40 years after the war ended, one of them shows up, kills the guy, starts a war. Oh. But they wow. thought they looked like robots, but she looks like a sexy yes. lady. He sees Cylons come on board. <laughs> He's freaked out. This like blonde white woman shows up. Turns out she's a Cylon kind of thing. <gasps> oh my God. She's like, God. are you alive? And then he's like, oh uh, yeah. And she's like, prove it. And then she like makes out with him and then the spaceship explodes. 
Right. That's the beginning. <laughs> yeah. This is also the decommissioned day of the Battlestar Galactica, a very old ship that was involved in the Cylon War. And kind of a recurring theme with it is that, like, it doesn't have the upgraded technology that the rest of the society has, partly because Commander Adama, uh, the leader of the ship, refuses to upgrade because the upgrades led to Cylon stuff, basically. Uh... Right. With the advances in technology, Cylons were able to, like, get in and fuck shit up easier. So they have, like, fucking telephones with hardwired whatever that hell on this ship dude this is how a lot of our like air force planes are intentionally like low tech so that they can't be hacked are they really yeah like i I have some That's ones that cool. are in the mil- military and they're like, yeah, you'll walk into some of these ships and it's like, looks like it's like from like the 70s and 80s. But it's because it's like, well, it's pretty easy to send a signal into a Wi-Fi enabled plane to like disrupt it. But it's really hard to like hack something that literally is not connected to the internet. That's actually exactly what happens with the Battlestar Galactica here. So mm-hmm. Cylons show up and launch nuclear attacks on all the human worlds. And as they're attacking, all of these human spaceships and fighter ships and stuff are just being deactivated. Like they show up, the Cylon Raiders send out a signal shuts them 100% down, they wipe them out. And the Battlestar Galactica is an old ship that isn't networked to the rest of the system, and so it can't be shut down. Same thing with the the fighter pilots on board, the Vipers. And so, basically, a bunch of stuff happens in the miniseries. 50,000 human survivors escape on uh, either the Battlestar Galactica or on civilian ships that are are capable of faster-than-light travel. Mm -hmm. And they're able to leave the system in order to find the prophesized Earth. And during this miniseries, we discover that there are 12 humanoid Cylon models and what's mm-hmm. revealed is that throughout the course of the miniseries, there's like a PR guy, Doral. Turns out he's a Cylon and was Dun-dun. infiltrated into the system to sow discord. So he's just pretending to be like in PR and public relations, all this stuff. And then throughout the miniseries, he's like, when uh, the president is elected uh, way down the chain of secession, he's over there being like, well, why is she in charge? Shouldn't someone else be in charge? Like trying to like make people not trust her. Or when he first shows up saying, the Battlestar Galactica isn't upgraded. How come you guys don't upgrade it? Because then it would be shut down with the Cylons attack. Got it. Oh, man. At the same time, they also reveal that one of the the officers, a lieutenant on the Battlestar Galactica, is a sleeper agent and that she doesn't know she's a Cylon. This is revealed because at the very last second, a copy of her shows up with the Cylon army uh, saying that they're going to find the humans. They're going to track them down. And Boomer doesn't seem to recognize that she's a Cylon at all. Right. This is so that's like a, a huge plot point in the first season. Cool. Yeah. So that's basically the, you know, the general gist of the miniseries and kind of like what the show is moving forward. So obviously with this whole like there are 12 Cylon models, anyone could be a Cylon kind of thing. Like you can't recognize them. They are um, down to their blood and all of their organs human visually and like if you run tests on them and stuff like that like they're they're people you know Mm -hmm. and so this like obviously brings up this topic in the show of sleeper agents so when people think of sleeper agents you think of like people who are activated by like a trigger word or phrase and then through like brainwashing and hypnosis you turn into like a different personality that is like meant to sow discord right that's from stuff like The Manchurian Candidate, which came out in 1959. It's a novel in which this guy appears to be a Korean war hero, but is actually under remote control by an operator to destroy American democracy. He was captured in the Korean War, he was brainwashed, and then he periodically blacks out because he's being controlled as a sleeper agent to destroy the country. Fucking wild. So that's like Boomer, basically. Like, that's the small spoiler mm-hmm. for season one, is that Boomer's a sleeper agent. She will continually black out and sabotage the Galactica without realizing what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Mm. In real life, sleeper agents are just deep cover agents. It's people who appear to be living a totally normal life because they're waiting for their mission to be carried out. So that's someone like Doral, who's the PR 
guy who just lived among humans for many, many years. And then when the Cylon attack was about to happen, immediately started steps to try to get Galactica deactivated, trying to discredit the president, trying to convince them that they can't run, they should fight the Cylons, like trying to ensure that people don't leave so they can be wiped out. Right, exactly. Like anything that he sees as an opportunity for humans to have some success, he tries to like sort of play devil's advocate or whatever the hell. Yeah. From that, obviously kind of, you know, some other recurring themes with Battlestar are sleeper agents who know they are versus know they aren't. So the fictional versus the real life kind of thing. Or Mm -hmm. these sleeper agents who turn. A Cylon who maybe decides maybe we shouldn't wipe out the humans. Yeah. And so that kind of, um, you know, infiltration that's so deep covered that that is who they are at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what I kind of wanted to talk about were a couple of examples of real life sleeper agents. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess first uh, I'll talk about something called the Illegals Program. What is that? Okay. So the Illegals Program was something that was busted in 2010. So this is actually like very recent. Oh, Oh, wow. Okay. So in June of 2010, the Department of Justice released a statement saying that 10 people were arrested for allegedly carrying out deep cover assignments on behalf of the Russian Federation. Basically, you know, being like federal law prohibits individuals from acting as agents of foreign governments within the United States without prior notification of the U.S. Attorney General. So obviously diplomats are fine, but Mm -hmm. people who are secretly here acting for another country, obviously bad. Okay, that's, yeah, that makes sense. For a second, I was thinking, do you have to notify them of spies? I'm so confused. Diplomats, that makes sense. It's for people who are (laughs) part of like official state governments yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and state yeah. departments kind of thing. Sure. But if you claim to be a diplomat and you're actually a spy. Right. That's uh, unlawful. And so basically 10 different people were arrested uh, and it was a result of a multi-year investigation conducted by the FBI called Operation Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories. So the, the operation lasted for more than a decade. A year after this arrest, they released dozens of still images and surveillance videos and documents related to it through a, a you know, like a Freedom of Information Act request. And they said that these people were mostly couples and it was people who were trained by the SVR which is the successor to the KGB Hmm. that was established after the Soviet Union fell Mm -hmm. and they were people who were collecting information for Russia and identifying people who would be vulnerable targets for recruitment so this is something called spotting and assessing Mm -hmm. where they look and find people in positions of power or people who might go to positions of power and they you know categorize all these different aspects about them and send reports back through like encrypted messages Uh, to the headquarters in Moscow, basically saying, here are their weaknesses. Here's how we could blackmail them. Here are their ideological sympathies. This is how we can exploit them. And basically trying to infiltrate different levels of government power. This sounds a lot like uh, the show The Americans. The Americans is actually based on all of this. Okay. Thank you. Thank (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this would be people like Vladimir and Lydia Guriviev. These are people who were living under the names Richard and Cynthia Murphy. They were just a couple of New Jersey with two daughters and she was working in a Manhattan accounting firm to spy on Columbia University. Is that something your daughters would know about? So I'll get into that for a second. It seems like most of them, the answer is no. That makes sense. Kids probably aren't good at keeping secrets, right? Right. Yeah. So the idea here was that they were people who were from the SVR who moved here as a couple and then had lives and families and then they would like send information back to center, but their children were not really involved in it. There was one case where people alleged that the children were aware and were being groomed as second generation spies who would be mm-hmm. less likely to be surveilled because they were born here. 
or born in the West in general. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would be kind of pissed if I didn't know and then I found out about that afterwards, I feel like. Yeah. So I'm going to be pulling from, this is an article about uh, Alex and Tim Foley, who Mm -hmm. discovered that their parents were Russian spies on Tim's birthday. On Tim's birthday? Oh, no. Yeah. So- his parents were living as Donald Heathfield, Heathfield who was a uh, a worker in a Boston consultancy firm, and his mm-hmm. mom was Tracy Foley, who was a real estate agent. So Tim had just turned 20, and Alex was 16, and they were born in Canada. They had been living in Boston for 10 years. On Tim's birthday, they went out for lunch, then they went home for champagne, and then the FBI showed up with a battering ram and <gasps> arrested his parents. Wow. Oh, my God. And they were um, very shortly, all of them sent to Russia. Wait, Tim and Alex too? Yep. Canadian citizenship was revoked and they had to move to Moscow. But if they were, can you revoke? Well, I don't know. Never mind. (laughs) The problem was that like, I don't, I guess I don't really know uh, Canada like laws and stuff like that, but they were technically Americanized, like naturalized American citizens. But because of the whole situation, they had to leave the country. Yeah. That's fucked up. I feel like you can be expatriated easily if you like commit. Like espionage. Hmm. Right. So their parents' names were actually Andrei Bezikov, who was from Siberia, and Elena uh, Vavilova, both, you know, born in the USSR, trained by the KGB and uh, the SVR, which is the successor to the KGB, who were then betrayed along with eight others uh, by Russian spy who defected to the Americans. Uh, So they were doing like dead drops, coded messages, you know, like filing intel reports it was this like whole thing obviously none of them have really spoken publicly about their missions but people have interviewed like their children like alex and tim who have some information but not that much um so basically the idea here was that they were actually being investigated by the fbi for many years before their arrest it was like a decades-long investigation oh so it started when tim was 10 yeah like when the investigation (laughs) started do they know what like initiated like the operation or the investigation was there like some new piece of intel that was like hey we know that they're sleeping agents that have been trained by the KBGB just living outside of Boston. The KG, so there was a tip about them specifically, I'll get to that in a minute, but this idea of sleeper agents has been a thing that's been part of, it was part of the USSR's playbook for many years during the Cold War. The other case I'll talk about is about a spy who defected and became an intel source of the Americans in the 90s. And so they were already aware of this kind of thing happening. Got it. So they would be called illegals if they're part of this program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The illegals would go through Canada and then move to the, or to the United States or Britain kind of thing. So basically they're meant to aid in communication between embassy KGB officers and the U.S. sources. As a normal person, they would be less likely to be surveilled than a diplomat and to wait for something called the special period, which would be the war between (laughs) the U.S. and the Soviet Union or the Russian Federation. Uh, Special period. Yeah, so their parents were sent to Canada in the 80s. In 1990, Tim was born in Toronto. In the early 90s, their dad got a degree in international economics. In 94, Alex was born. They moved to Paris, presumably on the orders of the SVR. Uh, Their dad got an MBA in the late 90s, they moved to the U.S. Um, as Russia began to form the SVR uh, as a true successor to the KGB. And then they lived in Boston for a long time. In 2008, Tim was accepted to university to go uh, with a focus on Asian international relations. But they were part under surveillance by the FBI right after moving to Boston. Uh, the indictment in 2010 mentioned an intercepted communication to their mother, fly to Paris, take a train to Vienna, pick up a fake British passport, and then go to Russia. So that was intercepted in communications, and they realized she might be a sleeper agent, and that's when surveillance began on this couple specifically. Wild. Their dad was using consultancy work to get into, like, political business circles. He had a number of contacts with former and current American officials. Wow. 
It's kind of like uh, Caprica getting her back door through Gaius Baltar's work. Yeah, Gaius Baltar is like sleeping with the Cylon agent, uh, who's later referred to as Caprica Six because she's the number six Cylon model. They're sleeping together for two years, and she basically convinces him that she works for a consultancy firm. So I need more information about the defense mainframe so I could pitch my idea and get the bid. And he lets her in because he has the access, and that's what's used to shut down the defense systems and nuke the planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is kind of what they were doing. They were using something called uh, digital steganography. So you put uh, pictures online that have messages hidden in the pixels encoded with an algorithm given to them by the SVR. Wild. Wow. So a message sent in 2007 by their dad, for example, said, got your note and signal. No info in our files about EFBTDKRR. Agree with your proposal to use Farmer to start building a network of students in DC. Your relationship with Parrot looks very promising as a valid source of info. To start working on him professionally, we need all available details on his background, current position, habits, contacts, and opportunities. I want to know who Are Parrot these is. Are code names for people? I want to know who yeah, Parrot basically. is. Yeah, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, do, do you know? Is it? Are we going to No, know? I don't think that was revealed. Damn. <laughs> like these would be codenames for just randos that they thought that they could manipulate. Mm-hmm. Sure. Also, shortly after moving to Boston in 2001, the FBI searched a safe deposit box belonging to their mother, finding photos of her in her 20s, and one of them had a Cyrillic imprint of the Soviet company that had printed it. Their family home had been bugged for like many years at this point. <gasps> Man. Oh, how terrible. Well, honestly, it's legal, though. Like, I'm sure they got, like, a warrant and they had a court order because once they had proof that, like, you might be a spy, like, that warrant got pushed through the courts and your house is bugged as That's F. scary, though. It is scary. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Dude, it's, it's wild because even, like, you could have, like, a new employee show up at your job and that could just be someone working for the FBI because they've been, like, approved, like, in-person surveillance and now they're just, like, watching you. Also a sleeper agent. Yep. You never know. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a sleeper agent. Yeah, basically in 2010, they wrapped up Operation Ghost Stories, busted all of these people. It's believed that maybe the group is getting close to sensitive information. But basically, they were traded for four spies in Russia who had been arrested for spying for the West. So there was a trade. Yeah, I remember a trade. This family was deported. That's all I remembered, though. I don't think I, I don't remember any of this other shit. Exchange <laughs> of spies. Just like, oh, we'll give you back your spies. Yeah, basically. Like, it was this, like, wild Cold War-esque thing happening in, like, 2010. I feel like it, it, it is, I guess, not surprising, but we are very well equipped for, like, producing our own sleeper agents in the United States to combat things like this. Because we used to yeah, do it man. on our own. Like, there were, quote unquote, sleeper cells, like, implanted in, like, the Black Panthers at, yeah. like, the upper Jesus. levels of the organization. So it's like, for another time. Just. <laughs> right. So the two or are not even about- exclusive to international shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So kind of to just wrap up this illegal thing, obviously I could talk about like all the different people involved. There were many different people involved, right? Like they arrested 10 people. Upon returning to Russia, they were all given jobs, you know, not with the SVR, but like state banks and oil companies and the universities in Moscow. You know, they were welcomed home, basically. The sad part is that Tim and Alex, so the kids of this couple, were given Russian passports at the end of uh, 2010. Tim was about to be a senior at George Washington University, but he was kicked out because of this. 
He had to transfer to a Russian university, and then he did an MBA in London. His younger brother, Alex, who was in high school when all this happened, finished up at the British International School in Moscow, applied to university in Canada, where he had to get a new birth certificate, a new citizenship certificate, and a new passport. But right before he was about to go to Toronto for his uh, university, um, he had gotten a visa. Four days before he was supposed to leave, he had to go to the Moscow Canadian Embassy. His visa was annulled before his eyes, and he has since been rejected for French and British visas. Okay. Wow. Wait a second. So is having kids part of their cover or are they just fucked up shitheads who are like not concerned about the impact their actions have on their kids? I think it's a combination because the idea was that they were meant to blend into society as much as possible. And having kids is part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're going to like live in like a suburban neighborhood and have like a deep cover and like if you're the neighbors without kids, that's going to like get people to start asking questions like, oh, where are you really from? Like, why why didn't you have kids? Wait, no. Hang on, Marcus. No, No, it's not. In that time period. I'm like, because what? this? Where are you really from? No. As someone (laughs) that grew up in the suburbs, people are really nosy. And people, like, if you don't have, like, kids for, like, people to talk about, they're going to want to, like, know more about you and, like, where you're from. So, like, the kids are more of, like, a distraction. Like, oh, what sports does Tim play or what's Alex's favorite, like, course versus, like, oh, like, what were were you doing before you were in Canada? Oh, okay. It it really contributes to the the story, basically. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's fucked up. Yeah. I will say in 2019, they were finally granted their Canadian citizenship back. But part of the problem was that there is a Wall Street Journal report in 2012 where they alleged that a U.S. official said that an FBI bug picked up that Tim had agreed to be a second-generation spy and had even saluted Mother Russia. So that was part of the problem is that he was having to like fight these allegations. Which there is some reason to believe that they're not true. Yes. I mean, he said they're not true. This is an unnamed U.S. government source saying that it was true. Part of the problem is that right before the arrest, they the family was actually going to Russia that summer. They had been planning trips all over. They had lived internationally before. So like their kids are basically saying, we had no idea. We just thought we were going to Russia like on vacation because we were also going to be stopping in like France and Italy and stuff. And they realized in hindsight that their parents were actually probably going to go meet SVR contacts and not tell their kids anything about it to like keep their cover. Sure. Anyway, so that's the illegals program. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That shit's crazy, huh? Yeah, Yeah. it is crazy. What else you got? Uh, What else I got? All right. So kind of more on the, the turning side. So a little Battlestar spoiler, right? Yes, I'm ready. This couple was like people like Doral, you know, people who knew they were sleeper agents and were there for a while. People like Caprica, you know, people who knew that they were agents for the enemy and were waiting for their time and were doing little things along the way to help contribute. Deep cover. Mm -hmm. Then you have people like uh, someone in Battlestar who is called Athena, who Mm -hmm. is a Cylon, is working as a deep cover sleeper agent and then goes, wait, actually, I don't want to do this. I think this is wrong and I can't do this anymore. And she turns and helps the humans. I really admire how neatly you did that spoiler so as to make it very small. Mm -hmm. Good job. Thank you. Appreciate it. So this is the story of a spy who turned. Amazing. All right. This guy's name is Jack Barsky. This is his real name? Nope. This is his his current legal name. Oh. Oh. He was born as, oh boy. Okay, here I go. Yes, do it. He was born Born as Albrecht Dietrich, it's German. I don't, I don't know how that to say. That sounds it. right to me. Yeah. In East Germany in 1949, it's a small town close to the Polish border. His father was a school teacher who was a Marxist-Leninist. 
Basically, you know, he believed in communism. It was the people fighting the Nazis. Then he came to his senses. Kind of. So basically, uh, (laughs) he went to university. He uh, was getting a chemistry degree. In his fourth year, a man approached him and said, would you like to work for Carl Zeiss, a lens manufacturer? And then quickly admitted he was actually from Stasi, the East German intelligence agency. Here's a question for you. Uh huh. How often do chemists get approached to be spies? Not enough. Not, Not in my experience, enough. anyway. <laughs> Marcus, is this your third shout out of the show where you ask to be recruited for yes, something? Another man. career change? Not okay. Not by a foreign government because I know how different platforms have like been <laughs> taking people down for saying far less uh, polarizing things. So I'm not asking uh-huh. for an outside government to be like, recruit me. But I would always be interested in understanding how chemistry can help stabilize geopolitics. Well, he never uses chemistry degree again. Yeah, well, <laughs> well I want to be a spy, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. I want to learn how to like <laughs> f- do flips and sneak around and all that cool what? stuff. Um, it sounds like doing, wait, hang on, hang on. A second ago, we were talking about like how undercover you had to be. It sounds like doing flips and sleeping around would not be the easiest no, way to deflect sneaking, suspicion. Sneaking, not sleeping oh, around. I thought you said sleeping. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> I guess, I guess sneaking. If your sneak is high enough, it's fine. Wait, no, we're not talking about Skyrim anymore. Yeah, we said we're done with Skyrim. <laughs> I, I mean, if you're trying to have a, be a James Bond type spy, then I guess sleeping around is integral to your spying, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not really about that i want to be like an idris elba type spy i'm like a gentleman sure yeah yeah wait isn't he gonna be james bond or was that just the internet's pipe dream the internet wants that to be a thing i don't think he's actually been approached but also so okay my mind will completely change on the whole sleeping around thing being necessary if idris elba is now 007 then i'll be like I yeah see. sure sleep around that's the way you got to be a spy Sure. Yeah, I think as long as the objectification of women is done through the eyes of Idris Elba, then we're all good to go. I take this back. <laughs> that was the fastest retreat. I know, anyone- dude. <laughs> oh, Christ. So back to the spies at hand. Back to the spy back shit. Back to the spy shit. So this guy eventually was put into contact with someone named Herman. He later described, this guy wrote a book about all this, by the way. So he later described this guy as uh, having a faint Russian accent, but he met with him every Monday for months. After he graduated, he started a doctorate and he was sent to East Berlin to meet someone named Boris. He trained with him for a little while. Again, these like kind of one-on-one meetings where he was learning like basic spycraft. And then he was sent to a Soviet base outside the city and was told he had 24 hours to make the decision to join the KGB. They made it very clear it wasn't an obligation. They were like, you can join us and you have 24 hours to decide. What would they have done if he didn't though? Wouldn't it be like, you know too much, kapow. He personally felt that it was a fully optional thing because the training was extremely minor and he had not been given any level of confidential details. Oh. I see, okay. I feel like that's a better way to recruit people. Like, yeah. if, you, if you actually want them to be Ease loyal. Ease them into it. Well, yeah, it's like if you're like, well, I'm going to kill you and your whole family if you don't do what I say. It's like, yeah, that'll work for a certain period of time, but that person's going to instantly start plotting a way out versus like- Right, the fear showing, only like, lasts for a little bit. Yeah, got to balance the stick with the carrot. Mm-hmm. This guy actually has a quote about this where he says about why he decided to join. He said, I considered myself an intellectual and smarter than almost everybody. The appeal to my <laughs> greatness played a big role in getting me over the line. Incredible. Oh, man, I'm like really he said, not it was a huge ego thing. Uh, now, here's a follow up question How often would you say chemists are motivated by ego? <laughs> so much. <laughs> so much all the time. Uh, yeah, l- look at uh, our society and how so much of 
the technology that's developed in the academy never makes its way to the people. And it's about the publications and not necessarily like actually doing mm-hmm. anything with your work. It's it's very mm-hmm. much ego driven. Yeah. Mm. So in uh, 1973, he told his mom he was leaving university and going to Berlin to train as a diplomat. Uh, he learned Morse code, cryptography. Um, he learned how to evade surveillance, um, how to do dead drops. Uh, he said in his spare time, he went to the theater and opera museums and the KGB footed the bill so he could learn English. Um, a couple years later, he was sent to Moscow, where his English was assessed by a professor from Moscow State University and a middle-aged American, who he later learned through the FBI once he defected, had fallen in love with a Russian and had moved to Russia with him. He was basically supposed to be part of the illegals program, like the early version of oh. it, the KGB version. He never met another illegal. They It was a fully one-on-one training, wow. presumably okay. to preserve as much of the secrecy as possible. Then that worked out so great for them. Yeah, so part of his training was that he would be occasionally followed by teams of up to eight people and he had to know when he was being followed. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Dude, this what sounds, a nightmare. I know this sounds like terrible, but I, as a child, this was all I was waiting for. Getting recruited mm-hmm. and being like, I'm about to learn some spy shit. I didn't really understand that spies were like heroes all the time. <laughs> but it was like, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So in June of 1978, the gravestone of Jack Barsky, a 10-year-old who had died in Maryland, was found, and they got his birth certificate. So they fabricated an identity using the stolen birth certificate. Uh, His background included that he had a German word mother to explain the faint traces of his accent. Mm. The thing I was reading said that his R's slipped a lot. Like, the more tired he was kind of thing, his R turned from, like, how an American would say it to how someone who's German would say it. Halfway down the back of your throat. Yeah. (laughs) His mission was to establish contacts within foreign policy think tanks, uh, think tanks. In particular, uh, President Carter's national security advisor, but little guidance was given to him. He said, it's as if they had spent time looking at fish swimming in an aquarium, and now they're training you to be a fish, but they don't actually know what it's like to be a fish. And so he had given all this training, but he didn't know what it was like to be an American, basically. Yeah. One thing I didn't mention was that he had a girlfriend before he went to Moscow for the part of his training, Gerland. He asked if he could resume the relationship. She was told a version of the truth so he could, uh, but his mother was told that he was going to go work at uh, a closed city that was the home of the space program in the Soviet Union, so you couldn't get on without government clearance so she couldn't just, like, show up to surprise visit him. Oh, weird. Before he left, he was told to write a series of letters to his mother and younger brother that would be sent out by KGB officials once a month, and he was instructed to leave space at the bottom for a KGB officer to add current event details and answer questions from their return letters. I hate this. Well, I mean, I just, like, I I don't understand what kind of a person would want to do this. I mean, it sounded like it was mostly appealing to his ego, and he firmly believed in communism. And he explicitly was talking about how it had been so drilled into his head that capitalism was evil. And by toppling it, they would be helping the entire world kind of thing. Yeah, fair enough. Like, he firmly said he thought he was on the right side of history. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So at age 29, he went to Rome, then Vienna, and then in Austria, he was getting a passport for someone named William Dyson. Then he went to Mexico City via Madrid. Then he went to Toronto via Chicago. But he arrived in Chicago in 1978. The idea was that he would slip into the country once in Chicago and assume his new identity of Jack Barsky. This is a pretty common way for spies to enter countries was this like piece by piece new passport, you know, new identity, taking 20 different like stops to get there kind of thing. Why does that help? I mean, at the time, you don't really necessarily have the same, like, tracking system as now, right? Oh, that's true. Also, even if, like, you had, like, today's tracking system, it's just, like, more data to, like, shroud what's really going on. 
It's like you're picking, like you're pinging all of these locations. It's like, oh, okay, well, like this person has been traveling all over the place. So it doesn't really like, it's not outside the realm of possibilities that they would enter the United States eventually. But also it's like, if you're going to cr- like go from Mexico to Canada and then like secretly enter the country and you've already like built up this like traveler history, like people are going to be like, oh, mm-hmm. like they might not even know the United States. They might be looking for you more likely in Mexico City or something or like. Right. And you're not coming direct from Moscow. So yeah, sure. It is interesting that two, these two separate spot generations of spies both entered the united states through canada and that yeah, was like strategically their, their way of doing it yeah it's the deliberate system that they were using for many many years it's just funny because we're so concerned about things going on at the southern border uh yeah so he arrived in chicago the idea was that he uh had a ford ticket to canada his passport was canadian so he was like allegedly going home but he was like i'm just gonna stop and sightsee he said it was the most intense 60 minutes of his life when he got in Chicago. He got out of the plane with a shortwave radio and several thousand dollars in cash. Oh and my then God. went to a hotel and then a couple of days later burned his passport and onward ticket. Had his birth certificate. He moved to New York with this, the, you know, the Jack Barsky birth certificate. He got a membership card at the National History Museum. He used that to get a library card. He used those to get a driver's license. He got a social security card by going and saying that he was a farmhand who never needed one and they believed him. And then he got a job as a bicycle delivery man to learn the city. Whoa. Wow. Dude, this guy's a good spy. That's Yeah, that's crazy, right? (laughs) I know, I'm just like, it sounds like a you were well-trained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He returned to Moscow and East Germany every two years using this complex passport switch, uh, document switch, like, setup. First trip back in the 1980s, uh, he married his girlfriend. Nine months later, he got an encrypted radio message saying that she had just given birth to a kid. Oh, my God. Uh, He enrolled at college for evening classes. He became a programmer who worked at MetLife. Every week, he would send, uh, spend hours decrypting messages and sometimes they would relay tasks like one of them he had to go to california to find the home address of a defected soviet scientist and send it to them oh god he did end up finding out the guy lived to 85 so fortunately that didn't end up in anyone's death but like that was like stuff Mm. that he was like he felt weighed quite heavily on his conscience and he was saying that the most irritating thing was like when you spend hours decoding this message and it would just be like greetings and well wishes. Yeah, truly. <laughs> yeah. That blows. <laughs> the messages That's he sent ways. back were like profiles of people who he met who he thought might be susceptible to KGB agents in this country. He would note um, any ideology, bad habits, financial troubles, any kind of blackmail. Uh, He said, there was one individual I reported on who I was convinced would have fallen for recruiting because he was so strongly right wing. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) Who do we think it is? Mystery. This is just like a random guy he would have just met during his day. What year was this? In like the 80s? This guy's like mega into capitalism now or whatever. Kind of. He's like really Christian now and like has uh, bought into being American. Mm -hmm. Sure. Do we know if he's a a Democrat or a Republican? No fucking idea. He did hmm. do a Reddit Ask Me Anything recently. Oh, and nobody asked man. about that? I didn't read through all of it. I see. Hmm. Was this the well, the bulk of his like spy work was in the like 70s and 80s, correct? Yes. Uh, he eventually met a woman named Penelope, who is a flight attendant from Guyana, uh, needed to get married to stay in the country, and he agreed. So he had married two different women. He said that in his mind, Jack Barsky and Albrecht Dietrich were separate people and they were both faithful to their wives. That's stupid. Yep. And he's lying. Yeah. I mean, he feels really bad about it. He actually has said that he wouldn't do the same thing and that he was not being a good person. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like he doesn't actually believe that (laughs) what he was saying about it. Uh, Yeah, no, that's a... 
Woof. That's I was gonna say that's some Idris Elba shit, but it's some James Bond. <laughs> yeah, that's James Bond not, shit. <laughs> How dare you drag Idris Elba like yeah, that? Do I'm not, so sorry. Do not I'm put so some sorry. respect on Idris's name, and I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I take it all back. I, I'm gonna take that back as fast as you took back your thing before Marcus. I know. <laughs> um. So Jack Barsky had one last trip to Moscow in '86. Uh, he was told he had to give them hardware and software. The Soviet Union was failing at this point, so he stole a bunch of software from MetLife and gave it to them. <laughs> in 1988, uh, this was a year after his daughter was born with Penelope, he was told to leave. He had to go back home, and he ignored it. He ignored two radio transmissions, and Uh-oh. he took the same path to the subway every day. There was a mm-hmm. spot that if it had a painted red mark on it, he would know that he had to leave immediately. Like that was like last resort, get the fuck out of this country, go get your dead drop documents and go home. Yeah. And he saw that and he ignored it again. A couple weeks later, someone whispered to him on the subway in passing, if you don't come home now, you're dead. And so he sent an encrypted message saying that he had HIV, that he needed to stay in the country for medical treatment. And he phrased it as the Soviets were afraid of it. And also that because the USSR was actively failing, the, the new policy of openness was kind of putting pressure on the KGB that they didn't have time to focus on him. And so they just ignored him and presumed he died. Wow. Then he just Convenient. kept living in this country. He huh. had another son. He had this conversation with his wife in 1997. His marriage was falling apart. And he thought, maybe if I tell her the truth, she wouldn't want to leave me. Like, he was like, do you know what I've risked for you? I could have been captured or killed. Obviously, that pissed her the fuck off that she had been lied to this whole time, so she left him. Yeah, I mean, fucking Jesus. Yeah, unbeknownst to him, his house had already been bugged by the FBI. They heard that conversation, and he immediately was arrested. Oh, shit. Okay. His name had come up in the early 90s in files copied from the KGB archives. They had already searched his car. His wife had already been tailed uh, when she went to London by MI5. They had bought the house next door to his and two agents were (gasps) living there who bugged his home. (gasps) And that's why he got pulled over after this conversation happened and told, you won't go to prison if you agree to help us. And he did. He is now an American citizen with the legal name Jack Barsky. Madness. Like he 100% complied and gave them all this information. That's, I I mean, it's kind of weird to me that they let him get away with it, but I guess that's fine. (laughs) Well, because in the 90s, he had already stopped working for them. Yeah, I guess that's true. I feel like most spy stories normally don't end with like, you were allowed to stay in like the country you were spying on and live happily ever after. Yeah. This guy got his green card in 2009 and a passport in 2014 for this country with the legal name Jack Barsky. So wild. Sleeper agents. But yeah, just two separate stories, two different generations of the illegals program, Russian sleeper agents who were placed into this country for the purpose of sending back information over time so that they could be activated at a later point in time when something really popped off. It's pretty fucking crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really wild. The fact that this goes on in the real world kind of wigs me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Neither of you are sleeper agents, right? You would tell no, me? No, not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of, but <laughs> who, who knows? Maybe, like, I just... I will say this is basically what they did with all of these Cylon sleeper agents, this like false life thing. Yeah. Boomer, for example, her alias was that of a woman born to a a family in the mining industry and the colony was wiped out during a methane explosion and they left no records or survivors to disprove her existence. So that, that happened. They falsified records of her being from there. And then she joined the military. And the idea was that like, oh, she ran away from her lifestyle because she hated being a mining industry person. Sure. 
And so that's how she gets in. I mean, she has like a fake passport and a fake birth certificate and all this shit. And that's how she like infiltrates the military. Good stuff, man. It's good shit. I really like Battlestar. Good sneaky stuff. It's really good. Um, But yeah, listeners, it's um, in my expert opinion. You should definitely watch Battlestar. And you're probably not a sleeper agent, but you never know. And if you are, you have to tell us. That's also our expert opinion. You do have to tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to In My Expert Opinion. Please remember to rate and subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad. Five-star reviews will get a shout-out on the podcast. Pretty big deal, if you ask me. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at expertopspod, or email in my expert opinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds. <laughs>